0: All right, I want to look at Acts chapter 8 and verse number 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay, memorize those books of the New Testament, and you'll, it'll help you in Bible study. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. This morning I want to speak on the subject of one great day in Gaza. One great day in Gaza. Uh, Gaza hasn't been having very many good days lately. Uh, it's pretty much the central focus of, of the world today in news. Uh, it's getting bombed to smithereens. You know, people are dying by the thousands and thousands since the war broke out on October the 7th when Hamas uh, with, with unbelievable precision uh, attacked the Jewish people uh, outside of the walls of Gaza and killed fourteen hundred systematically with great order okay don 't let people and their propaganda tell you that this was some just emotional outburst that they couldn 't control no this the, the paragliders and 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 the the military precision they carried this out. they planned that for a long time. They planned that for a long time. That wasn't emotions losing control because of all the oppression from the Jews that they claimed. No, no, no. This, this was an extremely organized uh, attack on, on the nation of Israel. And uh, if you don't know this, Hamas, we're, we're learning this on Wednesday night's Bible study. We've had two so far on the war in, in uh, the Middle East. And uh, so far we have studied in part one the terms of the war, all kinds of words that you got to understand, like Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, Al Qaeda, ISIS, and you got to understand that to understand. And, and, and you need to focus uh, on this war, not not in a bad way, but to understand that that this is biblical prophecy that is beginning to be fulfilled right in front of our eyes. And uh, this one's not going to just go away. Uh, this was so so severe. Uh, this one is going to grow and grow and grow. So we had our first lesson already on the terms, and then we looked at number two, geography. This Thursday we're going to look at the history of Gaza and the history of the Middle Eastern War, and it goes far beyond back before World War I. The propagandists are all going to start at World War One. And they're going to try to tell you that that's where the Jews started doing this, this, and the other. No, no, this goes goes back thousands and thousands of years, my friends. And uh, it's just uh, to a boiling point right now. And so we'll do that this Thursday night and then the following Thursday night, prophecy. Terms, geography, history, and prophecy of the Middle Eastern War. Uh, And so I, I want to invite you back Wednesdays. 6.30, Anytime time you can get here. If you come late from work, wear your work clothes, we don't care. Bible study usually begins around 7 uh, o'clock. And uh, so we're going to see that Gaza, it's mentioned way back in, in Genesis, and it has had a horrible history. It's had a horrible history. It always has. Uh, but there was one good day in Gaza, Uh, that we have here in the book of Acts chapter 8 that we're going to look at here in uh, a few uh, minutes. Gaza is a very dinky little strip on the uh, southwestern part of the land of Israel. You think Israel's small, you can barely find Israel on a map or a globe. But Gaza is a little dinky strip along the Mediterranean Sea that really should be a booming um, oceanfront property. Uh, but it was had been absolutely devastated by Hamas. Now, Hamas is a political party. It's a political party that just began back, I think, in 1997. It's really a Johnny-come-lately-to-human-history. It's a terrorist organization, and the people that were living in Gaza, the Arabs, that were placed there after the 1948 war, and were given that land, kind of like in America, where, you know... Good or bad or not, the, like the Native Americans were given reservations. Uh, they were given Gaza, and Gaza's a tiny strip of land. At, at some points, it's only three miles wide uh, to the sea, and then sometimes it gets wider, only about 25 miles. It's really, really small. But the Arabs that live there voted in the political party of Hamas in uh, 2006, and they've never had a free election since. Imagine that. We have free elections every year, major ones every four years. But when Hamas was voted in, that terrorist uh, political group took over the whole area and uh, has never relinquished power or never even allowed a vote for anyone else. And so please understand that not all the Palestinians are Hamas. Now, all Hamas are Palestinians, but not all Palestinians are Hamas. You understand that? It's kind of like Germany back in World War uh, II. You know, all the Nazis were Germans, but not all Germans were Nazis. Does that make sense? And uh, that's how it is in in Gaza, but they, they rule it by terror. They're, they're called terrorists. And we're going to learn the history and the origin of terrorism this uh, Wednesday night here in in Bible study, right out of the Bible. Now, I want you to notice what it says here in verse 26. At the end, it says, which is desert, which is desert. Uh, Philip is told to go from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is, is desert. Uh, sometimes you will hear uh, people say, well, that's a God-forsaken place. You ever hear that saying before? There is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. Uh, God is omnipresent. In Psalm 139 and verse number 7, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. It is not possible to go from the presence of the Lord. I read one time about a man that didn't believe in the Lord, he got in one of those big iron suits, and he was one of those guys that would go down to the bottom of the ocean, look around, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, Christians were bothering him about his need to be saved. And so he gets down to the bottom of the ocean, and there's a gospel track on the bottom of the ocean floor, uh, right where they put him down. So he came to know the Lord as his Savior. I would, too. That would be quite a sign uh, from God. But you can't hide from the presence of the Lord, and there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. In Revelation 5, 9, the future talks about those in heaven. And it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You see, the Arabs, that is not a people. That is a language. That is a Tongue. Anyone who speaks Arab is Arabic, and uh, there are going to be people in heaven, you can count on it, because God's word is true, out of every kindred, which means ethnic group. We don't believe in racism. We don't believe in races. There's only one. When you hear about races and racism, that's that's a, a, a term that was introduced to society by evolutionists, who, who believe we evolved in different places on the earth, and so these people evolved over here, and they're this race, and these people evolved over here. No, no, we all have one father, and that's Adam. And then it came down to Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and some of the divisions in the world. They're ethnic groups. And so if anyone ever says, you're a racist, you say, your answer should be, I can't be a racist. There's no such thing. There's only one race, the human race, and I belong to it. And I love everybody as my brother and sister. Are all not we one, Malachi the prophet asked. With God as our creator. Uh, now, we're not all one in his family until Christ is our Savior. That's different. Revelation 7 verse 9 also says about the same thing in uh, Revelation seven nine and then I behold and lo a great multitude which no man could number Isn't that great going to be a lot of people in heaven a whole multitude which no man can number amen of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne in fact the man who invented Hamas that evil man he just I don't know he's got to be possessed with the devil or something his son came to know Christ as his Savior. And he speaks out against Hamas, and he speaks on the behalf of Christ now. So don't don't tell me there's any place that's God-forsaken. God's grace will go where none of us will go. And uh, we'll save the lost there. And somebody might say, well, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? No, no, God didn't forsake Sodom and Gomorrah. The righteous forsook it. He said, if I could just find ten people there, who are practicing righteousness, I'll spare the whole place. And then later on, when Jesus walked the earth, he said, you know, if the works that I have done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. They would have repented uh, at, at at the preaching, but there was no righteous people. It wasn't God who forsook Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the righteous who forsook Sodom and Gomorrah. And you and I need to be careful We are the salt and the light of the earth. And we need to be salt and light in the United States of America. We need to be in prayer for our country and fasting for our country and voting every chance we get for our country. Or there may be a time he doesn't find enough righteous in America. And so God does not forsake anybody. God does not forsake anybody. The onus is on us to take and carry the gospel to every place uh, in, in, in the world, and even the hard places, and in all those hostile countries, 65 nations on earth that are closed, which are the worst or hostile to the gospel, God has people there. In fact, out of the 195 places on earth, nations, 195 nations, 194 of them have child evangelism fellowship uh, ministries there. All of them except North Korea. Imagine that. Kids getting saved in every country. Why? Well, it's, it's just like God. Uh, God can use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Some adult missionary shows up and says, well, you're not coming to our country, but to let them teach the kids. You see, uh, God's word will be fulfilled the letter. And in heaven, there will be people out of every kindred and tribe and nation and tongue. There will be. Even if God has to do it through children. Isn't God amazing? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And people are getting saved in every single nation through kids clubs, after school Bible clubs. And we can be a part here. Now if you, I'm getting off script here, but if you go to the Child Evangelism Fellowship and if you sign up, we got to count on you. There can't be a Tuesday or a Thursday where it comes along and you say, "Oh, I just don't feel like going it." No, no. No, no. If we get into those schools, you must be there every week. There are no substitutes for you. You must be there, but we need you. And we need, I know Rebecca and Calvin or not no, uh, Rebecca and Eva or uh, there's Eva. Have been going into JTY and they've had, what, seven to 11 kids. And she's, uh, she's counseling every week with children who are from a different faith. And she's answering their questions and trying to bring them to Christ. And maybe God can use you in one of these uh, schools. And let's never think, oh, I'm too good to, for, for the children. Uh, maybe the Lord can use you. Anyway, let's get to this good day in Gaza because there hasn't been many. There hasn't been many good days in Gaza's history. It does seem like a cursed place. Not God forsaken, but cursed. And the Lord said, I will curse. I'm going to give you examples just blow your mind about that old, old promise in Genesis 12 where God said about Israel, I will curse them that curse thee. And I will bless them that bless thee. I'm going to show you a bunch of examples of that in history. God keeps his word might be cursed but God goes there and let's get into the story here of this great day in Gaza verse 26 and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip saying arise and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza which is desert now let me just take a moment and mention who Philip is Philip was originally a deacon in the church at Jerusalem in fact, turn back to chapter number six in verse five, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenas, and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed they laid hands on them, And they began to do the work of a deacon, that is, to be a servant of a congregation of a church. That's what a deacon is. They're not preachers. They're not a board that controls the pastor. They're servants. And in this case, they were delivering groceries to widows. Now, somebody might sound, well, that sounds derogatory. No, no, not not when you read later in the Bible. And you read in James chapter 1 and verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. God wants us all to have a special heart for those children that don't have fathers and for those mothers who don't have husbands. Their husbands have died, their widows. So this wasn't some demotion, this was a promotion to be a servant. The Lord said, the greatest among you shall be servant of all. And the greatest thing we can do is find someone else, some other person on earth, some other human being and serve them. So he begins as a deacon, but there was a problem in their church. It got blown to bits, literally. Uh, Two chapters later in Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church. Now, that's the first church that ever existed, the first local church, the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed there, but the deacons and everyone else were just scattered because of the severe persecution of Saul who, of course, after his conversion would be renamed Paul. And so, they pretty much the church blew up because of persecution. But as they were scattered everywhere through the regions of Judea, Samaria, Galilee, they went preaching the word everywhere. People started getting saved everywhere. And by Acts 9 and verse 31, there's churches everywhere. Aha! God's will got done. Uh, and, and sometimes... Uh, uh, really hard things happen in your life or my life or our church's history or or a country so that God's will will get done. And uh, so they started planting churches uh, everywhere. And so Philip goes out and he's no longer a part of the church at Jerusalem, but now he becomes an evangelist. In fact, in Acts 21 and verse number 8, he is the only man in the Bible specifically called an evangelist, Philip the evangelist. And so sometimes in God's work, he starts us in one certain position to see if we'll be faithful before he gives us another position and moves us into that. So don't be sitting around saying, well, I want this position here. No, 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 just just start with being a servant, uh, serving widows, uh, serving the fatherless, and the Lord says, if you're faithful in that which is little, I'll give you much. And uh, uh, if, you're, if you're, you're just faithful uh, in the, uh, a few things, I'll commit to you the true riches. And so that's how church work works. God never gives someone something to do he's not doing anything. And if he does, uh, when he does speak to you, he's going to give you something small to do in the church at first. And right there, we'll see what kind of character you have. Are you too good for that? Or are you humble enough to say, okay, I'll, I'll do something small. For, and I'll do this the rest of my life. I'll be faithful at it, even if I'm never seen. And then sometimes the Lord sees those, like in Acts 13, who says we're prophets and teachers In the church at Antioch, a different church, and then the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas. See, they were all, it says, as they ministered unto the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas. That's how God works. As somebody's ministering to the Lord, not as somebody sitting around doing nothing, but as someone's ministering to the Lord, then the Lord says, Okay, now I got another work for them to do. And apparently, somewhere along in this story, God called Philip to be an evangelist. And what an evangelist he was. Look at this. This is, this is almost unbelievable. I can't, I can't even picture this happening in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You've got to be kidding. Who would want to go there? Did Samaritans like Jews? Nobody went anyway. He went anyway. Why? There's no God-forsaken places on earth. And the people with one accord, oh, they'll never listen to a Jew, will they? Now look at verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You see, God worked back in those days confirming his word with signs following. He gave these people miracle-working power. Peter's shadow sometimes would just touch somebody and heal them. Handkerchiefs were taken from Paul, and if he said, I I can't visit so-and-so, but take this and lay it on them, he would lay it on them and they would be healed. That was in that dispensation called the apostolic dispensation. And he would confirm the word with signs and miracles later. But the Bible says those things would pass away when the finished revelation from God was given to mankind. 1 Corinthians 13 says that we wouldn't need those, the miracles and the tongues and so on and so forth because now we have the completed revelation. Philip couldn't pick up the New Testament and read it. It wasn't written yet. And so God worked through him with signs and miracles and wonder, Just trying to give you a little doctrine here that you can read in 1 Corinthians 13. You see, now that we have the completed revelation, all we need is the work of the Holy Ghost. As the preaching of the Word goes forth, the Holy Spirit confirms the Word. I've been in Christ for 54 years this month. I have never in 54 years needed someone to prove it to me by signs and miracles and wonders. I've had the Holy Ghost confirming it in my heart ever since. And that's how he speaks to you. And that's how he speaks to me. He confirms the word as it's preached, as it's taught. It's a soul winner. Do you ever go soul winning and, boy, the Holy Ghost just starts working on somebody through you? There were no signs and miracles and wonders, but people have been converted for two millennia by that method of just personal evangelism, giving forth the word of the Lord. Philip's an amazing man. What a miracle he has in the city. A big citywide crusade there in verses four through eight. But then notice our text in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip and saying, Rise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. You see, now, what? now he goes from this big city campaign where all these people become believers and God says to him through an angel, now I want you to go down to the desert because there's one guy down there. Just one guy. And you've got to go out of your way and I want you to meet him. And I want you to talk to him. You know, nobody should be too big to try to be involved in personal evangelism. Trying to win people one-on-one. No matter how famous they get to be as preachers or evangelists or having big citywide crusades. No, this is like this is like this is kind of like John chapter four, where it says Jesus must needs go through Samaria and he came and sat with a woman at the well. Remember that? He says, I must needs go through Samaria. And he said that to his disciples because they never did. They always went around it. Because the Samaritans had nothing to do with you. But that day Jesus said, I gotta go through here because there's one person, a lady who had had five husbands and was living with a guy, i got to go talk to her. Let us not underestimate the value of one soul. Amen. One soul. And he's going to go to Gaza now. In verse number 27, and he arose and went. Boy, that's, that's one of the keys to soul winning right there is just obedience. Uh, sometimes some never win souls of Christ because they don't think God will use them. But I, I promise you, if you put yourself out there at the disposal of God, there's coming a day God's going to use you. He arose and went, obedience, obedience, verse 27. What a guy F- Philip is. And he rose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia, we never learn his name, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had gr- charge of her, all her treasure and was come to Jerusalem for to worship. Well, humanly speaking, we would look at this guy's biography here in verse 27 and say he must be saved. <laughs> Any guy that's dedicated. I mean, this, this, this will blow your mind when you pick it apart and dissect verse 27. A eunuch of great authority, Great authority. I mean, this guy has been put over much under Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Ethiopia is about the oldest country on earth. It's mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. It's been around a while, it's still there. Candace is the queen. This guy has been put in charge of all of her treasure and was come up to Jerusalem to worship. Now, today, if you go from Addis Adaba, the capital of Ethiopia, and you drive to Jerusalem on nice roads in a nice car, it takes you 59 hours to drive in a car from the capital of Ethiopia to Jerusalem. 59 hours. Now, to give you an idea how many hours that is, If you went across our country from New York City to Los Angeles, it would take you 38 hours. But this guy is not in a nice car. He's going 59 hours for one reason. He's going to Jerusalem to worship. Wow. Wow. When you get the geography of some of these things in the Bible, you just say, wow, (laughs) 59 hours by car, what would that be by chariot? And now he's got to go back because he wanted to worship God. He wanted to worship God. Now, some of us would say, well, he must be saved. We're not saved by works, folks, no matter how spectacular they are. No matter how great they are, we are not saved by... Our works. I'm sorry. Now, if, you, you're, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm a good person and I've done this or that or I've tried hard or I go to church or I've been religious all my life, you don't come close to this guy. And he needs to be saved before the story's over. In Galatians 2 and verse 16, the Bible says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ... Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Nobody in this room, nobody watching ever in the future will ever be justified by the works you've done in the flesh, even if you go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship, that can't save you, can't save you. So he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah, the prophet, verse number 28. Now, Isaiah is the same as the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, written about 700 years before Christ. And then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself unto this chariot. Now, you and I might be a little bit afraid walking through the desert and seeing a man of this great authority uh, in charge of all of Queen Candace's treasures and the Lord says, go talk to that guy. You know, you may, some may have a little inferiority complex or a little struggle or something to get up. But, but I want you to notice what Philip does in verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him. Notice obedience again. We saw his obedience back in verse 27. And he arose and went. And now his obedience again. And Philip ran thither to him. Have, have you been obedient to the Lord? Have you gone out to talk to even one person? Lady up at countryside said, would you go visit a man in Hamburg uh, that I know? He's he's old. He's got a heart problems. He's dying. And I said, sure, I'll go. Sure, I'll go. So I went up there yesterday. He wasn't home. I knocked and beat on the door and left a note there for him. And I'll try again, but... We need to go. We need to go. and I want to encourage you to go. and, and when God lays somebody on your heart, go. If nobody's laid on your heart, go anyway. Uh, you'll run into somebody that you'll be able to talk to. And he ran to the chariot, and he ran hither and heard him read the prophet. So this guy's reading out loud. He's probably got a scroll, which would be of extremely value, uh, extreme value. I don't know how he got it, except probably by his authority. And Philip said, Understandest thou what thou readest? When you get to be with somebody, you got to have an opener. you got to get a conversation going with the person to turn things around, to spiritual things, and to turn things around to Christ. All the way to Hamburg, I was thinking, Lord, what should I say to this guy? I've never met him before in my life. If he answers the door, what should I say? And I had had, uh, some things I was going to try to use to bring about a conversation about Christ. It's called the preparation of the gospel. We should be prepared, know what we're going to say. God will use us. And this man said, how can I except some man should guide me? See, this guy's not only religious, he's humble. He's humble. There's this one particular guy I like to listen to on the radio. I won't mention his name because I don't agree with everything he says. But I like this. He says, whenever I go somewhere, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always the dumbest person in the room. He says, that's how I live. He says, I learned so much that way. That no matter where I go, I want to make sure I'm the dumbest person in the room. See, that guy's going to learn things the rest of his life. But people who say, oh, Pastor Cole, Acts chapter chapter number eight, I'm not going to learn anything this morning. I've already read that before. Now, you're pathetic, is what you are. You are. You'll never learn. God reveals these things unto babes. That's what the Bible says. And and you've had babes. Some of you have had little children, little grandchildren. We have too. Just to see them, just, just soak in whatever you say. Whatever you say, they're just so hungry to receive some knowledge. And if we can, I don't care if you've, what you've done in your life, I don't care if you've been a pastor for 40 years, you ought to approach every day in your life like you're a little baby and say, God, teach me something. Man, listening to Brother Archie Davis yesterday, he, he said some things that made, shed a whole new light on the book of Titus for me. said, so now I understand why that book is in that order. You got to learn some, be the dumbest man in the room wherever you go, and just say, God, I'm here, teach me. Who's this guy? He can teach me something. Everybody knows something you don't know. Your job is to try to draw it out of him. How can I? Except some man teach me. Can you imagine someone saying that? Do you understand what you're reading? No, I can't understand it. How can I understand this unless somebody shows me what it means? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, the place of the scripture which is read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so openeth he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now, what he is reading is what we have come to know today to be Isaiah uh, chapter number 57 and verses 7 and 8, because we we have the Bible divisions and chapters and verses. But he's just, and what's he reading about? And I want you to notice he has another question. Notice the humility of this man. He's so great. He's so rich. He's so spiritually minded that his worship costs him great price physically to go all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem just because he knows that's where the true God is. And so he shows even more humiliation. He says to Philip, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet of himself or of some other man. Who's he talking about? His life's taken away. He's led as a lamb to the slaughter. And notice what Philip does. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He said, sir, this is talking about Jesus Christ who died where you just came from in Jerusalem. He died on the cross. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter outside uh, the streets and the walls of Jerusalem and up towards the north part to a hill called Calvary, where there he was crucified. And there he suffered and he died for our sins. He's talking about Jesus here. His life was taken away from him. He died for us. He died for us. Apparently, this man had, had, had been considering that there was something more that he needed than just his religion and his devotion because he says in verse 36, as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Brethren, baptism is good, but here it's out of order. Baptism is a good thing to consider in the right order and Philip tells him the right order in verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. That's the only prerequisite to baptism, is you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all thine heart and be saved. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all he said. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why? Because Philip preached unto him Jesus. And he became a believer. They stopped the chariot. They both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know, you can get baptized the same day you're saved. Baptism is not some decision you're supposed to think about for years. It's not something you're supposed to do when you can get all your relatives together and watch some show. No, it's, it's something you're supposed to obey immediately. You get to say you believe, be baptized, belong, and then begin. Begin your walk with the Lord. And so they stopped. They went both down into the water. The eunuch, only God could do this, how they found water in the desert. But they did. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Sometimes those we lead to Christ, you never see him again. <laughs> And so don't let that stop you. Sometimes people say, well, all those people at the fair, or whatever, who knows what becomes of them? Who knows what became of this guy? You know, this is, it's amazing to me that one of my favorite stories in all the Bible is located in Gaza. <laughs> I love this story. Located in Gaza. And not that just like God to just say, hey, Gaza is going to have a tough history, but I want you to know I'm still at work there. And souls can be saved. There are Palestinians like crazy trying to get out of that place because they just want to live. I've said this before several times. My wife and I went to the First Baptist Church in Bethlehem, which is under Palestinian control. And we went to church that Lord's Day morning and everybody in the church was a Palestinian who had been born again and had trusted Christ as their Savior. They're not all bad. They're not all bad. Some of them just want to be safe. They just want to go to work, have a wife, have kids, have a house, live a life in peace just like you and I have a lot of them. Now, a lot of them have been indoctrinated in some bad stuff. But God loves Palestinians. God loves Ethiopians. God loves you. God loves me no matter who a person is. You got bigotry or prejudice or something in your heart, yeah, I don't know, I guess we'll just have to be changed by God before we get to heaven, because there are going to be people out of every kindred Tongue nation, amen. This was a great day in Gaza. This was a great day in Gaza. And I wanted to just bring that message to you, to show you uh, the ministry of Philip, the Salvation of this Ethiopian. Now look, maybe you're here and you're really religious. You've been religious all your life. Doesn't mean you're saved. Please. Doesn't mean you're saved. Maybe you could give a biography of all the things you've done for God or you thought you were doing for God. Maybe you truly worshiped him. We're not saved by worship. We're not saved by singing. We're not saved by praise. We're not even saved by loving God. We're saved one way and one way only by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him as our personal Savior. Jesus said you have to be born again. You cannot only, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. He said you'll never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Have you been born again? Has there ever been a time from your heart where you've said the words of this Ethiopian, I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just thank thee, O Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you have shown us your great care and your great love for all mankind, all women. Uh, Lord, it doesn't matter uh, who they are. We thank you that you have visited Gaza in the past, and Lord, we're praying you'd visit there again. We're praying for those Palestinians who are sick of Hamas, sick of death. We're praying for Jews, uh, Lord, whose lives are so uncertain every day that they might remember something someone told them about Jesus Christ or that somebody could give them a good word and witness to them so they too can be saved. And Lord, we just pray now, if anyone here today has never believed and never thought they really needed to be saved. We can't get saved till we get lost. We can't get saved till we get lost. Lord, I pray somebody would maybe for the first time in their life this morning get lost and realize my righteousnesses, my religion is as filthy rags. No matter how devoted I am, even as devoted as this man was, I need to be saved. And if that's your need, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you call on the Lord right where you're sitting right now and believe with all your heart like this Ethiopian did? You too will go away rejoicing like he did. But where you're sitting, would you say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you with all my heart. I believe you were slaughtered for me on a cross at Calvary. You had to die in my place for my sins and shed your blood to wash them away. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Savior. I have seen today that I cannot save myself. Lord, save me. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, is that your prayer today? God knows your heart right where you're sitting. Did you believe just now and receive the Lord as your Savior? Would you put your hand right up and say, yes, God knows my heart. I have asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior today. I settled it. Would you press your hands right up and take them down and say, God knows my heart. Lord, help us. We pray. And Lord, in closing, we just want to Pray for our persecuted brethren around the world today with others. In not just those 65 countries, but sometimes in America, people are persecuted. But Lord, give them grace to live, give them grace to die, to suffer, to be persecuted, even to be martyred if it so happens. And you'll give them a crown of life. May we have grateful hearts, dear Lord, for what we have in our nation, and use it while we can to go out and talk to people and see you use us like you use Philip. Now, Lord, dismiss us with thy blessing and our fellowship, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.